Okay, so podcast is recording. Hopefully I can get this done in peace. In some semblance of quiet. Get my camera mode rolling here. There goes the dog. So... Coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, talked to um, a friend of mine last night, as I guzzle some coke, uh, we did the Breakwall podcast, and uh we we talked about September 11th, 2001. Some reason where I live, my hometown, we're the only place that calls it 911. <laughs> Every place always calls it 911. You think we would have picked up from TV that it's 911 or September 11th or something, but we are what we are. So, um, I just want to think and talk, I guess, because it's 20 years later, we haven't healed as a nation. We're more divided than we ever were. <laughs> uh And the political divide gets worse every day, it seems like. But that day after, that day, September 11th, 2001, and September 12th, and I'd say several months after that, we were very patriotic, very united. There are some, uh, you know, small protest against the war in Afghanistan as I swatted a fly. But you know, the fact of it is, is um, there used to be a time when we were all Americans, and I think. The majority of us see it that way. There's just a small, very vocal few that divide everything. But I say if if 9-11 happened tomorrow, or something similar, we would not unite behind our president. No matter who it was, Trump or Biden or whoever. Um, It's just the fact. You would not have hundreds of congressional members on the House or the Capitol steps, excuse me, singing God Bless America. you know, Sandy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would be on Instagram 
lying about how Ted Cruz tried to have her murdered, which was far from the truth on many levels. But the fact of it is her timeline of where she was and when she was there doesn't line up with the actual events uh, of January 6th. 2021, but, uh, nonetheless, you know, uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar would be blaming the Jews, Nancy Pelosi would be blaming Donald Trump, even though he's not president anymore, Joe Biden would be lost, literally, just wandering aimlessly and sputtering out sentence fragments and, you know, maybe lighting things on fire. Who who knows? But, let's just, uh, I got a few um, clips to play of um, phone calls to family members, I think actually this first one is from uh, a flight attendant uh, on a plane that was about to smash into the Trade Center. Don't mind my dog whining in the background. There's a cat outside the door. I have to call. The cops have not answering their phone. Our number one is in staff and our five is in staff. I am in a situation where the mask is on the possible hijack. What's going on, Betty? Traffic's erratic again. Probably very erratic. Betty, talk to me. Betty, are you there? Betty? Betty? That plane just... What? It's 7.37? It was. Like a world trade Who are you talking to? Oh, God. Oh, my God. United 175, New York. We have some problems over here right now. We might have a hijack over here, two of them. Jules, this is Ryan. Uh, listen, on an airplane, that's been hijacked. And things don't go well. I'm looking good. I just want you to know, I absolutely love you. I want you to do good. So happy to find uh, things for my parents and everybody. I just totally love you, and uh, I'll see you in the Hi, babe. What are those people going to do? All the elevators are blocked out. Oh, my God. So both towers are now... Cleveland, if you hear the center right then. I got that piece of stuff. What do you mean, Mr. Dean? 
video 9-11 as events unfolded if you want to look for that yourself um, it's a strange situation when you look back and think back uh, some friends of mine that uh, aren't political and international relations junkies like I am will often critique me, criticize me, uh, say that I'm a strange individual. Uh, over my obsession with this day and what happened and listening to the stories of the people that were there but it, it, there's something that, that fascinates me about the human mind So, what, what goes through the mind of a hijacker? 
there have been suicide bombings before this. There have been since then. There will be in the future. And we don't really... Uh, I, I mean... You know, after they've died, you know, the... Now because of social media and the internet... Uh, the FBI and the psychiatrists, psychologists, the profilers, whatever you want to call them, can go through and make a mental or a, you know, a mental evaluation of the individual. Uh, but what what drives you? to kill yourself flying an airplane at its these people didn't know what they were doing they knew how to fly the planes but they basically did not know how to take off or land so they certainly did not know the Parameters, is that the right word? The the limits of the plane. A lot of 9-11 truthers, as they call themselves, will say that well the, these planes couldn't have done this, they couldn't have been traveling at these speeds because it was uh, the the maximum uh, velocity the plane could fly at without coming apart, or it would have started coming apart before it hit its target, because there were at the high, they, the terrorists revved the engines up as fast as they would go. Well, they weren't flying at that rate of speed the entire time they had the planes hijacked any recording you can hear of one of the plane impacts you hear the engines rev up at the last few seconds uh, so yes there were the planes were at their breaking point for velocity and speed, but uh, it wasn't for a very long period of time. People say that, well, the World Trade Center collapsed like a controlled demolition, and it came straight down. Well, about halfway as the Trade Center was coming down, it becomes enveloped in a cloud of dust. So we don't know that it truly came straight down. And it also was built in sections. Many small sections of steel girders around the outside, not the inside. And nothing like this has ever happened before. And there are supposed 
scientists, uh, structural engineers that say that, well, it, it couldn't have collapsed like it did. And then there are others that say, no, this, this is how it happened. The steel uh, that was holding the outer walls together as well as holding the floors up did not melt as in liquefy it weakened from the heat which takes a much uh, a lower I shouldn't say a much lower because I don't know that word much could be taken many ways it but they just needed to weaken because these steel uh, girders I guess you would call them were holding the sides of the building together as well as supporting the floors it was a very unique structural design to get the building to be as tall as it was with the what the built in the 1970s technology and engineering and it was an engineering marvel for the time and it could have taken an impact from a smaller plane even a smaller passenger plane I think uh, well I don't I don't want to throw specifics out because I'm not not 100 on it, but it, it could have taken, at the time in the 70s when it was built, uh, it was said that it could take a, a hit from an airplane and that it, it would have withstood it. But in the 70s, the planes were a little smaller um, all that boring stuff being said you know what I remember most about that day was feeling alone like Even when you were around, I mean, I wasn't around people a lot. I watched a lot of news when I came home. Let me begin at the starting here. Um, I was at Kent State University working at uh, a, a, a building called the Michael Schwartz Center. Now I was working the lunch counter there, or the snack counter. We actually had to. Wow, this is how petty it was. What? I don't know where we started. We started school. It was. Uh, come on, glasses. We, I don't know. We started school sometime before 9 11. And. <laughs> the, the people at this building were used to having like a, a miniature convenience store at their snack counter. 
Well, they put me over there because I wasn't getting along with some of the people that uh, worked at the rec center. I worked for food services and a bunch of snotty, bratty people, students to grown-ups, worked at the rec center. So my boss got put in charge of this snack counter and he he put me over there to take take some of the heat off of me at the rec center dealing with their um, disrespectful employees towards us food service employees that weren't part of the clicky crew and uh, so then I go over and uh, we replaced some people that were trying to run a snack counter like it was a convenience store. So people were less than happy that they didn't have their hot foods, their bags of chips, their microwave foods, the this and that and the other thing. And the student that worked there before me would discount prices, which he shouldn't have been doing. Shit like that. But after a few weeks, the staff and people there got to know me because I was there five days a week every morning. Um, and they, they were pretty cool people. And I remember a lady coming down the steps from uh, her office and telling me a plane just hit the World Trade Center. They think it was an accident. And then, I don't know, what was it, 10 minutes later, she came back and said a second plane hit the World Trade Center. Something, something's going wrong here. And there was, the building was pretty quiet that day. So I walked over to, uh, the internet was still young at the time. You know, 1995 AOL and all that. There really wasn't high speed internet. Uh, there was a, still a lot of dial-up, maybe some DSL, uh, but no broadband, no Wi-Fi, no smartphones. In fact, someone owning a cell phone was very rare at the time. And so... My boss came over to check on me. Oh, I went to um, the uh, secretary across the hall and she was trying to get on CNN.com to see what was going on. Because really the only way we had of getting news updates was uh, the local talk radio station. And then breaking news would break in on the other radio stations as well 
but you had like WKSU, which was uh, part of the National Public Radio Network. Uh, you had WNIR Talk Radio. And that was the way we were getting news. It was like 1940s style news. We weren't even really, you know, not too many of the offices had cable TV in them. Just because there was no need for it, you know. But CNN.com crashed that day because there was so much traffic on that website, it, the servers couldn't take it. And the more that went on, the more the rumors flew. But the biggest feeling was loneliness. Like, America's foreign policy has always been keep war away from America's shores. And this was the first time in my lifetime there had been an attack on American soil. We didn't know what to do. I mean, what do you do when you're standing at a snack counter? There's a, a, a counter around you. You're just there. And people are coming up telling you rumors. And we don't know what's going on. Something's going on. Oh, the National Guard has, you know, I think it's Route 46 blocked. And... There's military convoys coming through to... There's a local legend that uh, this Ravenna Armory in Ravenna, Ohio is everything from a nuclear missile silo to uh, a place where they hide aliens. <laughs> but anyhow... People were talking about, you know, the National Guard shutting down roads and there's convoys of military vehicles coming through. And we're in Kent, Ohio. Somebody said that the White House, a plane crashed on the White House lawn, which really, the, the plane, that was probably the plane that hit the Pentagon. People got confused. Once that plane hit the Pentagon, you really knew we were under attack. And then the building started collapsing. And I just remember people, we were speechless. We were trying to talk about it. And there was this one guy that talked a lot. But he said, oh man, yeah, you, you, know, you just can't fathom this. You just can't fathom it. And, oh man, they... They must have known just how to fly those planes at the right angle and hit the the weak spot on the building and the, this, the, the. they didn't these guys didn't know what they were doing. These terrorists. They knew if you hit a building with an airplane going, you know, four, five, six hundred miles an hour, however fast they were going, it's gonna do a lot of damage and it's gonna collapse. And people to this day that don't understand and don't follow it, the conspiracy theorists, 
the 9-11 truthers they call themselves they say well how come there's there's no wreckage of the plane people that were coming out of the world trade center saw the bodies of the passengers body parts on the ground they saw parts of the plane on the ground outside the World Trade Center so it did impact the outside of that building and and I don't know how aluminum penetrates steel you know uh, I don't understand the mathematics and geography not, not even geography, geology, geometry, inertia, God bless you. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't pretend to be an expert. But I know I could see an airplane-shaped hole in the side of that building for a while. That's a little hard to fake. You know, it's a lot hard to fake. I laugh because some people are dumb enough to believe that, you know, those were drone planes. You know, and some people actually think George Bush and Dick Cheney were at the remote control of the drone planes. So about 12 o'clock that day, My boss, he kept coming over and checking on me. He knows how emotional I can be. He told me to close it down. They're closing campus because nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> you know, there was a rumor that uh, the Kent State Rec Center, this big new fitness center they built, could be a target. And they were going to lock it down. These cocky bastards at the rec center. Uh, the Kent State Library is the tallest building in Portage County. Oh gosh, somebody might try to crash a plane into the Kent State Library. I mean, this was a serious... Seriously, this is how people were thinking that day. Because we were losing our minds. We didn't comprehend this. This was mind-boggling. For the people that saw it on television and saw the second plane hit and saw the the buildings collapse and all that stuff and it's like gosh and then I was in the dark and just lost I remember I went I told my my boss saw me getting teary eyed he's like are you okay I'm like yeah man I'm just I don't I'm just confused and, and it's like, I need to go to the bathroom. I, I shit when I'm nervous. Um, so I went in. My, I, was, I, I sat down in the, in the stall. And I cried a little. I mean, we thought there were 50,000 people in the World Trade Center's dead. Um... And any loss of life is a bad loss of life. But it was lucky, luckily, 
only a couple thousand died because of the the planning of the security staff of the buildings the firemen and the policemen that got as many people as they could out of the buildings but you know that was the story oh man any given day there's 50,000 people go through those buildings and my boss is like you know that's like everybody in Kent and part of Ravenna and so you know I excused myself to go to the bathroom I sat and I I cried a little cry and I prayed a little prayer for the people in those buildings and their families and uh, they canceled classes it may have been before noon I think campus officially shut down at noon but they released everybody from their classes and there were so many kids walking uh, past the building that I was working in it was like the biggest exodus it, almost like the biblical exodus it seemed like and there was too many kids to fit on the sidewalks on either side of the street so they were just walking down the, the middle of the street but it was like orderly almost like they were marching you know maybe five or no maybe ten or twelve wide across the sidewalks and the street going home but they were all quiet on a normal day around that time it's lunch people are going to and from class going to uh, uh, the student center for lunch going to their dorms wherever cafeteria getting lunch and it, it's noisy not that day. It was just t total lonely, stunned silence. That's the only thing I can think to describe that day was lonely and silent. Even though there was all this mass confusion, it just felt quiet. Like an eerie quiet. Like your brain slowed down. And you were almost in panic, but you were quiet and lonely. So I got out of work after everybody had gone back to their dorms. And I walked across campus to my apartment. And normally on a day like that, on any day, there's 20,000 kids traveling across campus and you're literally like bumping into people like excuse me excuse me pardon me whoa, whoa, you know and there was no one I didn't see anybody for like two blocks I'm just giving you wasn't exactly two blocks but to give you some kind of distance reference you know, a couple minutes were normally in that couple minutes I would have passed thousands of people. I passed nobody. No cars going up and down the road. No students. And in the student center plaza there was a kid 
coming up towards me and I was going this way and he was coming we were like getting ready to intersect and our eyes met and we it, it just felt like we froze in time for a minute we didn't stop walking we looked at each other and I wanted to say wow can you believe what happened or did you hear but there was no there were no words that could cover that you could under could, that you could say we just passed each other in silence it was eerie it was just eerily quiet and lonely and i remember i got back to my apartment and i flipped the tv on and i picked up the phone priced almost simultaneously i think i don't know and I called home and I really needed somebody to talk to. I needed to hear a voice, but I got an answering machine. Because my grandma and my mom were both working. And I just said, hey, I want to let you guys know I'm okay. I don't know what's going on. There's rumors and all this. that You know, they're shutting down the roads up here. But I don't know. I'm safe. I'm home. They closed campus. I don't know. I just remember saying I'm safe. I don't even know what else I really said. I just, just want to let you guys know I'm safe. I hope you're okay. I love you. And then... I waited. And I called again. A few hours later. And talked to my grandma. And she didn't understand at all, you know, she was older generation, didn't understand this terrorism and all this stuff. And, you know, she was one of the ones that thought it was Saddam Hussein, like George Bush. And I remember sitting, standing at that lunch counter, standing, not sitting, there was nowhere to sit. Uh, and thinking, who could have done something like this? Who was big enough to pull this off? And it just hit me like Bin Laden. Because he had pulled off a lot of terror attacks throughout the 90s on our military and overseas assets. And I always kind of joked that I knew who did it before George W. Bush because he was so dumb and goofy from his dad and Dick Cheney. That he thought Saddam Hussein had something to do with it. And, of course, we know that was poppycock. Um, and I had taken a class in terrorism by Dr. Hanna Frage, great guy. A Palestinian who grew up in Jerusalem. He spoke French, Arabic, and English. Very good English, too, by the way. Ohio English, as a matter of fact. Uh, <laughs> so, for about a week, I was like the coolest person because everybody knew I was into politics. And I was like, wow, I took this class on terrorism. And this is who done did it. And this is. But man, that day we were so scared and so lonely because we thought maybe there was an invasion coming or maybe there were going to be more attacks. You know, did they have a series of targets uh, beyond the ones they hit that morning? People 
always said the smart enemy and these guys were smart they're assholes but they were smart the smart enemy hits you where you least expect it so yeah ohio was on high alert for targets the world trade or not the world trade center the sears tower in chicago was on high alert because it was a tall building you know uh, the buildings on the west coast were uh, you know on high alert the Seattle Space Needle was shut down the whatever big tower they have in Canada the, I don't know the Canuck Tower or something it was it was closed down anything that was tall in a building was basically evacuated and Pretty much everybody was sent home from work. I know one asshole in Akron, I learned a couple years later, uh, the probate court, the the court administrator wouldn't let the, the probate court employees evacuate even though the sheriff shut down the rest of the courthouse and told everyone else to evacuate. This guy had to put on a show and, oh, we're, we're staying, we're tough, we're not going to get attacked. There was nobody in the courthouse. There was no work for the employees to do anyway. Send them home to be with their families. Oh, well, that was Joe Masich for you. Um, but, yeah, I just remember being at that lunch counter and Oh man, that they knew just how to hit those buildings at the right angles, and no, they didn't. They got lucky. They were assholes that got lucky. Oh, there's a plane down on the White House lawn, and the Capitol is on fire. Uh, had those passengers of Flight 93 not intervened, the Capitol would have been hit probably. Um, aside from the Pentagon, it, it was, it's the most obvious target in Washington DC with the most high-valued people to kill and that's what the uh, Al-Qaeda was after by the way you know what Al-Qaeda translates into it means the list it was a list of Mujahideen fighters that bin Laden had that were willing to kill themselves for Allah Al-Qaeda the list doesn't sound quite as scary when you say the list so we still to this day saw say al-qaeda or al-qaeda if you want to make it sound more ominous and menacing than just the list but anywho uh that's my 9-11 story man loneliness at the michael schwartz center even though i had plenty of people talking to me updating me on what's going on good kind hearted people but man I'll tell you one last thing Kent is a very liberal campus in case you didn't know or it was part still is and guess I don't need to relight this baby um I always had an American flag hanging up in my window because I didn't have drapes in my apartment. 
Uh, I, I was in a, it was called an efficiency apartment back then. I think now they've changed it to make it sound better and they call it a studio. But it was an efficiency. Which meant I had a living room and a toilet. And a bathtub and a shower. <laughs> so I had two rooms. The room that I ate, slept, and lived in. And the toilet room. So... Um, I only had one window and I put an American flag up in my window as a curtain but on September 12, 2001 almost every dorm room I passed on my way to class or work or whatever I was going to had an American flag in the window the local Walmart. This is before there was a Walmart on every corner. The Walmart up the road in Ravenna sold out of American flags. The the Kmart in Kent sold out of American flags. The Kmart in Stowe. Target, wherever the Target store was, I think it was in Stowe also. They all sold out of every American flag you could buy. And almost every window, it seemed like at Kent State, had some kind of an American flag in it. And that's the day I want to feel when I feel and think about Americana the American way. Is that unity behind that flag, that rally around that flag, flag that represents so much in our history to people of all races and colors and sects and religions. We all just wanted to be Americans and rally around that flag. So God bless you guys. This has been 46 minutes of me yibber-yabbering. Listen to some more. Audio recordings from 9-11. We've got a very dramatic audio timeline of the morning of September 11th. Some of these audio tapes became declassified just last year. Combined with what was previously released... These tapes offer perhaps the most dramatic timeline of the moments the hijackings were taking place. We hear voices of people on the front lines, including a flight attendant on board a hijacked plane. We're going to start with her. Betty Ong, she was on board American Airlines Flight 11 at 8.19 a.m. Eastern Time. This is just about 27 minutes before that flight hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center. She called her colleagues on the ground. This is the first time that anyone outside those planes finds out what's going on. Let's listen to Betty Ong. The cockpit's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Just five minutes later, at 8.24 a.m. Eastern Time, just 22 minutes before impact on the North Tower, you hear the haunting voice of the lead hijacker, Mohammed Atta. Boston Air Traffic Control picks up his voice in the cockpit as he's talking to the passengers. Listen to Mohammed Atta. Is that American 11 trying to call? 
of the lead hijacker, Mohammed Atta. Now, just over half an hour later, at 9.02 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, air traffic controllers trying to figure out what's going on with the second plane. This is United Airlines Flight 175. Follow the purple track here. It has already looped south of New York, heading north toward the south tower of the World Trade Center, and two air traffic controllers practically narrate the impact. Take a listen. Hey, can you look out your window right now? Yeah. Can you can you see God about four thousand feet about five east airport right now? Looks like he's Yeah, I see him. You see God look is he descending through the building also? He's descending really quick too, yeah. Well that's five hundred feet now. He just dropped eight hundred feet in like a, like one one sweep. That's that's another situation. Who, what kind of airplane is that? Can you guys tell? I don't know, I'll read it out in a minute. Another one just hit the building. Wow. Oh my god, he just hit the building. Take you forward to uh, just about a half hour later, 9.28 a.m. Eastern Time. You've got air traffic control trying to track United Airlines Flight 93. Cleveland Air Traffic Control is trying to get another flight, American Airlines Flight 1060, to help find Flight 93. But that Cleveland controller picks up some audio from inside Flight 93. If you listen carefully, you can hear people screaming. And listen very carefully, you'll hear someone say, seemingly saying, we're all going to die in here. Listen. That's American 1060. And of course, just minutes later, that plane hits the ground in southern Pennsylvania in the town of Shanksville. The Rutgers University Law Review has released some of this material to hear some of these haunting audio tapes and other unforgettable moments, including stories that you've not heard before. Tune into CNN's documentary Footnotes of 9-11 with Drew Griffin, Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on CNN. Brian Todd, CNN, Washington. Let's make sure, make sure that 9-11 is not a footnote of history that we never forget and it's not just something we say every year in September but we live it never forget <laughs> 